The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. It beckons and woos us. It tantalizes and seduces us. It sucks us into its grasp and wreaks havoc in our lives. And we still deny its sinister power. Now, Pastor Bill Hybels wrote that. Um, and he's talking, of course, about, say it with me, money. He's talking about money. And, um, and I don't think he's being alarmist about it. I mean, you might look at what he's saying. It sounds a bit extreme, a little over the top. Is it really as bad as he thinks it is? And I, I really, truly believe he's not being alarmist at all about it. I hope that you would all agree that the threat of money gripping our hearts is real. That that's a problem that any one of us can have, whether we have the money or don't have the money, we can be gripped by its power in our lives. And, um, and that's why I believe every Christ follower needs a biblical, godly a counsel and a biblical and godly understanding of money. What does God have to say about this? I need to hear it because of the threat that it poses in my life. And so here's why this matters and why I believe we need this series on money. Um, I just jotted down six things here, and this is all just part of the intro, and then we're going to get into the content and some passages of what God has for us. But just as I kind of think of it off the top and what I've already learned about some of these things, um, here's why this matters. Uh, this speaks, how we handle money speaks to our worship. It speaks to how we worship. It actually influences our worship. And we just spent some great time in worship and the team led us so well and we, one of the songs or lyrics that we sang was Christ is enough for me. Now I hope you sang it with integrity and believe that it's true but you can see how that line actually affects every aspect of your life. If Christ really is enough for you then, then the money's gonna be in its proper perspective but if he isn't enough for you you should stop singing the song. If money has an inordinate place in your life, it speaks to our worship, our ability to adore our God is, to adore him freely is directly impacted by how we handle our money and we're gonna see distinctly in the text how this is a heart issue. Uh, secondly, I wrote down it affects our mission and um, the most guilt-inducing part of the service for many of you is not the sermon and I don't intend to instill guilt of, if you're feeling something about this, I hope it's the Holy Spirit's conviction. But the most guilt-inducing part of the service very often is the offering time when we worship God uh, with our givings. And it's guilt-inducing for some of you because you want to give more than you are, but you can't, or you feel you can't because you look at your budget and you just go, there's just nothing left and I'm just paying my bills and I'm still falling behind and I don't know how we would carve it out and give more to the Lord. But you want to, and you not only want to here, but you have friends you'd like to help, or you'd like to help your kids, or, or you hear about some need, or you'd like to sponsor a kid overseas. There's just something you'd want to do, and you have it on your heart to do it, but listen, you can't. 
You can't fulfill the mission that God has given to us in the scriptures because you look at your budget, you just go, it's impossible. And that's why this matters, why we need this series. A third I wrote down, it's intertwined with every aspect of life. Um, true or false, uh, healthy marriages are dependent on a right view of marriage, of uh, money. Of money, and marriage too, by the way. <laughs> Healthy marriages are dependent on a, on a right view of money. And um, so much stress, so much heartache, so much conflict in our marriages over money. How many times has a spender married a saver? <laughs> Nervous laughter among all those who have actually done that and are living in that situation. And that situation's awful because all kinds of conflict is created. But then what happens when the spender marries the spender? Yeah, exactly. Um, young adults, again, under this, this heading of intertwined with every aspect of life, young adults are being crushed by monstrous student loans. And I'm not going to school because, or I go to school and now I have. And uh, you're trying to pound away at a student loan and you're not sure how you're going to be able to afford an apartment or food. And how you're going to find a job that's going to pay for all of that. And you don't have any money left over to even go on a Starbucks date. Well, Starbucks is a bad example because that's expensive. But I mean, you know, a Timmy's date. Well, then when you do scrape enough, uh, together enough pennies and you get over to Timmy's and you meet the girl and you want to, and then you decide to get married, you find out during the disclosure phase of the relationship that she has student debt too, right? And so it's not only on the day you get married, it's not only one flesh, but it's one debt. And it's a big one and it's crushing. It's intertwined with every aspect of our lives we feel I think we all feel this. We all feel peer pressure about how we spend it. And um, you know the old expression, keeping up with the Joneses. And um, we do that a lot. And even as the followers of Christ who shouldn't have to, we feel the peer pressure to keep up with the people around us, the people in our small groups, our friends. We look around and we say, they have, I should too. And um, it's just intertwined with every aspect of our lives. Number four, I wrote down, it's... Uh, uh, the why this matters, why we need this series. It's so radically misunderstood, misused, and misvalued by the culture. I'm talking about money. So the mantra of the world is this, and just do, do a little survey. Next time you're watching TV and actually watching ads, we PVR everything, so we never watch uh, you know, the commercials. But if you watch the commercials, how, how many of the commercials fall into either the borrow category or the spend category? Just create two categories. This is, this is, a, this is a borrow commercial or advertisement. This, this is a spend a commercial or advertising. So many of them fall into that and, and that couldn't be, borrow and spend couldn't be any more wrong when we understand the scriptures. Uh, then I wrote down this, it's something Jesus talked about a lot. This matters and why we need this series is because Jesus talked about it a lot more than you think. Not to mention Solomon talking about it. Not to mention the Apostle Paul talking about it. God is interested in you knowing how to handle your money in a way, listen, in a way that is consistent with the testimony you have of being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
When you had your moment, as Blair did a few minutes ago, and you stand up here, and you give your testimony, and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and you get baptized as a testimony to that, listen, everything's getting baptized. Your wallet's getting baptized with you. Can't hold it out of the water. Remember the old story. Everything's getting baptized. Everything needs to line up with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Need that to be consistent. And then I uh, finally just jot it down this. It jeopardizes the freedom that Christ purchased for us on the cross. Money jeopardizes that freedom. Christ paid the price for us on the cross. He shed his blood for us to be in relationship with him. And when we go back to the old patterns or we never leave the old patterns behind, we have a problem. And we live not in the freedom that Jesus has for us, but in slavery uh, to the money. We're going to talk a lot more about that. So this first message of the four in this series over the next four weeks is going to lay out the rationale for the series a little bit more specifically and from the text to make sure this, that we own the money and the money doesn't own us. Yeah, that's what we're going after in this first message. And uh, this series is going to draw almost entirely from the Gospels with a little bit of borrowing from some other spots in the Scriptures. And I'm going to start by reading a key passage that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. So get your Bibles open in front of you if you haven't already to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read 19 through 24. And then we're going to pray and ask God's blessing on this time. Sound good? All right. Matthew's Gospel 6, chapter 6, verse 19. This is what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves uh, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, uh, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Father, there's no doubt as we start this series that the stakes are high. And uh, what weighs in the balance is the blessing of the freedom that you have given us in Christ Jesus. And, and Father, we don't want to slip back into the slavery to sin uh, that, um, that we've been freed from. And so God, help us uh, see it in your word as you speak to us. Father, we, we ask for you to turn your face toward us right now, to speak clearly through your word, to help us grasp these truths and to have a spirit in us, a willingness to receive the implanted word and to allow it to transform our lives. God, this we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, to ensure that uh, I own my money and it does not own me, I must be, uh, let's start with this, open about my struggle with money, number one. Open about my struggle uh, with money. Now, some people simply don't struggle with money. 
There are actually, these people exist. These, these people um, live within their means. They, they spend less than they bring in. They are saving toward their retirement in a responsible way. They have an emergency fund in case something comes up so they don't have to put it on the line of credit or a credit card. Uh, they give to the church as other needs come up around them. They're able to respond to those. They're able to help their kids. They, 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 they just have a lot going on in their lives. They seem to be, beyond all of that, they seem to be happy. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> Identify yourselves. <laughs> We want to know what's going on in your life. There are some people who are like this, crazy, crazy I know. Uh, but, but, but we need this series because there are so many people, maybe a vast majority of people, who are not living that way. That the people who don't really need this series or for whom this series is just going to be a reminder, uh, that this is just going to help them out a little bit, but they're a minority in any crowd. I would guess that they're a minority here this morning too. And, and again, that's why we need this teaching. And the best thing that you could do right now is just to be open about the struggle, willing to admit and to say, you know what, I, I need this. I need it. I, I need to be open about our personal struggle in our marriage, my individual struggle in my life with all of this. And, and then to make the decision to lean into the teaching and hear the thing that God has for us. And I want us to start in Luke chapter 8, in fact, so if you could turn there, and this series is going to be kind of moving around the Gospels a little bit. So in Luke chapter 8, we have this, um, this parable of the soils, and uh, the parable of the sower, or the parable of the seeds, is kind of described in different ways. But you know the story uh, here, uh, four kinds of soils and the sower goes out and he's, he's spreading the seed as he goes and the seed falls on these four different kinds of soil. Only one of them kind of where the, the plant um, took root, it took root strongly, it received the nourishment it needed from the good soil and it produced actual fruit. The other three kinds uh, didn't produce any fruit at all and among the kinds that didn't was this thorny soil and what I want you to see is how Jesus describes uh, what happens in this case when the seed falls among thorny soil? He says this, verse 14, the seed that falls in thorny soil symbolizes those who hear, but as they go on their way, notice they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What Jesus is saying is that one of the major hindrances, because this parable is not precisely about how we handle money, but it's a parable about how we walk as the followers of Christ and how we produce fruit that is in keeping with our faith. In other words, the fruitfulness is the indicator that the faith is genuine. If you have no fruit in your life, then you have no faith. That's what he's saying. But among the three kinds of of gospel-hindering, faith-crushing soil that we could fall into is this one where, where the faith is choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, all the things we can spend on, all the things that we can go after with money. In other words, money is one of the key hindrances to the gospel taking root in our lives and producing fruit, the evidence of genuine faith. Our obsession with it, 
our mishandling of it, our overvaluing of it in our lives as a key issue in how our faith really plays out. Now, later on in um, Luke's gospel, chapter 16, verse 14, you can turn there. Luke 16, verse 14 now, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees again, or talking about the Pharisees. Um, how many of you remember that the Pharisees and Jesus weren't, weren't friendly? You remember that? Like often in conflict, he, he really had his harshest words toward the Pharisees. They were one uh, party uh, within the leadership in Israel at the time. But here's the, the thing about the Pharisees. And when you're reading the Bible, you need to be real careful about this. Because we can look at the Pharisees and see them as the enemies of Jesus. And then distance ourselves from them and not see ourselves in the Pharisees. But I think it's far more helpful for us to see ourselves in the Pharisees because of this. The Pharisees loved the Bible. They were committed to worship. They were social conservatives. They were very morally upstanding people and they were awaiting for their Messiah. Now, if you add all that up, I mean, that applies, who does that apply to in the room? I mean, that just sounds like me. I love the Bible. I'm here every week. I'm looking for the return of Jesus. I'm trying to live morally upstanding life consistent with the life of Christ. I mean, the Pharisees were us. They were the conservative evangelicals of their day. But they just missed the message of Jesus. And so, so, so Jesus has taken them on because they weren't listening to the Messiah. And this is what he calls them in Luke 16, 19. He, he calls them lovers of money. And their love of money, again, we're trying to create this sense that there's a problem and, and we're gonna need to be open about this struggle with money because they were lovers of money, they ridiculed Jesus for his teaching. It's ridiculous. Listen to what he's saying. How could anybody believe this? They were the Bible-believing people of their day. And you can tell that it became a problem for us because the Pharisees aren't the only ones who apparently loved money. Paul wrote in Here's a little dive into, the, into the, uh, Paul's letters, but Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6.10, now he's not writing to Pharisees. Now he's not even speaking to Pharisees and there aren't any Pharisees around. Now Paul is talking to a senior pastor. He's talking to Timothy, who's the pastor of a church in Asia Minor in, in the Greek world now, away from Israel, and he's saying to him, he's saying to the church, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That last phrase just means they just hurt themselves. Just hurt themselves. Now this is a problem in the church that there are still people who say they love Jesus and are disciples of his, but they love money. And it's a real problem. In fact, I would just say this, and I hope we'd be quick to acknowledge this, that the struggle is real. And the stats concerning this struggle are undeniable. So I want us to go through a, a little bit here um, and help us to understand some of this and why we need to be open about the struggle in our own lives because it is real. But let, let me give you four examples. In the time that Cheryl and I have been married now, 26 years, Canadians in that same time period, Canadians' debt to disposable income and disposable income is what you have to spend after uh, all levels of government have taken their share. 
Okay, you pay your taxes, what you have left is your disposable income. To buy a house, to buy a car, to buy groceries, to go on vacation, go to the movies, whatever. Okay, that's your disposable income. And so in, in uh, this period of time, 26 years, the ratio of debt to disposable income has doubled from about 85% to 165%. Now, let me, let me explain that. At, at, at $50,000 a year disposable income, let's say after the, your taxes come off, that's what you have left to spend is 50 grand. At 50,000 a year, at 85% back 26 years ago, the, the debt, the average debt of Canadians, average household debt was uh, $42,500, okay? Fast forward, that was 1990. Fast forward now 26 years, and what we're showing on the chart is that it's now 165, so that if you have $50,000 in disposable income now, your debt now is actually 82,500. Now you can see that's a problem. And, and the, the bigger problem is that the numbers are actually going in opposite directions, so that for the average Canadian, disposable income is actually going down. We have less of it. And debt, household debt, is actually increasing, so the, the gap is getting bigger on both ends. And we have a real problem going on, and we know why this is happening. Essentially, we know why it's happening is because the Bank of Canada has, I don't know if you read any of this stuff at all, but I find it fascinating, um, but the Bank of Canada has kept our interest rates historically low for so long that the cost of borrowing is so low and so cheap for most of us that it just it has so little impact on our monthly budget, we just go out and borrow more and spend more, borrow more and spend more because the rates are so teeny tiny and the interest is so little and it just makes so much sense that we would have a pool in our backyard. But we have a problem. Because eventually that bubble's gonna burst. And eventually rates are gonna go up. And some of us are old enough to remember the early 80s. Okay, there's the groan from all the old people in the room. Because <laughs> we remember, we remember 20% interest rates. And if that happens, there's gonna be so much defaulting and such a crisis in our country. And I'm just telling you that that's the way the culture is thinking and going. But the followers of Jesus Christ always need to be better than that. And the problem is we're not. So we gotta make some decisions here to get to a better place with all of this. All right. Um. I said I would give you four examples. Here's another one. Uh, for a segment of the population, it even gets worse with the proliferation of payday loan stores, which, um, do you know that payday, payday loan stores don't actually charge interest? They, they charge fees for an amount of money that you borrow. And that's the way they get away with actually charging ridiculously high interest rates, because we would see it as interest. You borrow a fixed amount of money, maybe $1,000, $1,500, $2,000, something like that, and there's a certain fee attached to that, and it's a loan for like two weeks. A generation ago, we called these people loan sharks. But now they've set up storefronts, and they're regulated by the government. But here's, here's what the interest rate annualized actually works out to. If you go to a payday loan store, it's anywhere from 600 to 800% on your money. So just remember that when you're in that position. And really, they're just designed to give desperate people access to immediate cash. The Global Mail reports that the sector has more storefronts and online lenders in the country than the Royal Bank of Canada and McDonald's locations. 
Nearly 2 million Canadians a year use payday lending services, according to their own industry. Yeah, that's just a bad idea. And um, if anybody here is using a payday loan store, stop. Just flat out. But the struggle is real for a lot of Canadians. Then, I, then I, another example is lotteries. And I'll, I'll, just write I'll just read to you exactly what I wrote in my notes here. Don't get me started. Might come back to this one later in the series. <laughs> the fourth example, I'm really disciplining myself right now. Uh, the aggressive nature of credit card applications sent to our house. Got another one this week. Right? How many people got another credit card application in the mail this week? Right? Several of you. The rest of you, it's coming next week. It's a struggle, right? It's a struggle, and I hope we recognize that. So, so, then, so then this, let's get to this. So uh, open about my struggle with money, and now let's get, let's get biblical in our understanding about money. Okay? Biblical in our understanding about it. And whether we take advantage of it or not, there's a lot of places you can go to kind of get help with this. You can go online. You can call a financial planner. There's books available, self-help books. There's lots of, lots of stuff available to us. And uh, most investment people, if you were to say, hey, I want to get together and talk investments and future and all that, most of them are going to be willing to also work out a financial plan that's going to get you to a better place in your regular budgeting. A service that they'll provide, of course, with the hope that you're going to invest with them. Not that they're doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. But some of us don't realize how much the Bible actually has to say about all of this and that there's a lot of help right here. I'm not saying don't take advantage of the other things and we would actually recommend that you would. But, but hearing what the word of God has to say is, is, is so critical to this. We've had money series in the past. I've taught from the Proverbs in the past. I've taught from uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which is a lot to say about it. And I'm gonna refer to both of those books along the way. But the main focus of this series, of course, is focusing on what Jesus said about all of this. And it's interesting to me, Howard Dayton, who founded a ministry called Crown Financial Ministry, said this, that Jesus talked much about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. I mean, Jesus had a lot to say about this. And, and when we say in our statement of faith, if you were to go to our website and say, what does Harvest believe? And we have a statement there on, on all the different doctrinal areas. And the very first one is on the scripture. And, and we say this as part of that. Scripture is fully trustworthy as our final and sufficient authority for all of life. So I'm going to just take that and lay it on top of our budgeting and our financing and how we handle our money. And I go, well, then is it fully trustworthy? Am I willing to take the word of God and lay it beside my budget and just go, are we allocating the funds in our family budget in a way that is consistent with the word of God? Does it have authority over my budget? Is it sufficient to speak into my budget? Is it trustworthy concerning all matters of my budget? Do I believe that it is all of these things in all aspects of life, including our finances? And I hope we're there as the followers of Jesus Christ. Because God has something to say that will allow his children to live in freedom, in the freedom that he's purchased for us. Jesus purchased our freedom. If you're a follower of Christ, you've got that. You're justified in his sight. But now we're wanting to sanctify uh, the way we spend our money, become more and more like him every day we spend walking with him. Now I want you to look at Luke 16 and see again why the scriptures should be Dependent on this, Luke 16, I think we're already there, just probably over the page. And this is the story of the rich man and, and Lazarus. And 
Most uh, uh, commentators would agree that this is not a parable, though it kind of reads like a parable. And the reason why we might think this one is not is because this is the only one where Jesus actually names someone by name. And so the thought is this isn't a parable. This is actually a story that actually took place. It's framed around faith and how money and wealth is an indicator of genuine faith or not. How we handle money. So when we read through this, you're going to see something that's really important that that we need to understand that the rich man is not in hell because he was rich and the poor man is not in heaven because he was poor and had a hard life here. How Lazarus handled his poverty, not, not blaming God for it, but living as best he could in light of his circumstances was merely the fruit of his faith in God. How Lazarus lived his life lavishly, not considering the Lord, not helping the poor, no fruitfulness in his life, was an indicator that he had no faith. And thus he was separated from God at death. And so verse 19, this is Luke 16, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off at Lazarus' side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send into my father's house for I have five brothers that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they have, they have what? They have the Bible. They have the scriptures. Let them read the scriptures. And he, that is, the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't believe the Bible, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, Jesus is telling this story, and, and only a short time later, he would actually rise from the dead, and a lot of people just didn't believe him. And so this is actually kind of functioning prophetically in that sense. In other words, the Bible's sufficient. It's enough, and you should believe this in every aspect of your life. That if, if anyone doesn't read or study or listen to or believe or be convicted by and apply the word of God, then listen, they just can't be helped. If you're not willing to listen to what God has to say on it, you can't be helped. And money will sink you. Money will sink you eternally if you don't listen to what it has to say to you. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that this ancient book doesn't have something to say into our contemporary situation. There's a lot to say. So open about the struggle, biblical in my understanding, and then thirdly this, undivided in my heart concerning money. Those verses I read off the top, let's um, look at those again. Matthew 6, uh, 21 through 24. 
And I want you to get that last stinging, I'm just going to call it a stinging statement. Get that underlined. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have, notice, you can't have two masters. Uh, These words are are sharply contrasting words. You're going to love one, you're going to hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one, you're going to despise the other. I want you to do some Bible study with me for a moment. Looking down at the text, I want you to, to see this. I have a few questions for you. Looking at the text, do you see any middle ground? Is there any middle ground there? Do do you see, um, this is a technical theological phrase, um, any wiggle room? No no wiggle room? Does, uh, okay, how about this? Uh, Does Jesus note any exceptions in the text? Like, Like devoted and despising, but sometimes, is there anything like that in the text? Sometimes it might be like this. It could be anything like that in the text. Nothing. Nothing at all. Undivided is what Jesus is saying. And the clarity of Jesus can't be missed. And it's entirely consistent with who he is and what he did on the cross for us. Because the cross itself is this decisive dividing point in our lives. You're either for him or against him. You either have faith or you don't. You're either following Jesus Christ or you're following something else. You're either devoted to him or you're devoted to something else. You're either worshiping uh, the holy name of Jesus Christ or you're about yourself. No exceptions. No wiggle room. No middle ground. That's what Jesus is laying out for us. Everybody has to choose to live for him or live for something else. And Jesus is expressing it here in terms of money because money, it's it's such a big example. It might be the number one example of things that keep people from following Jesus. Now, I, I need to say this, but the reason why so many unbelievers and often professing believers, the reason why they don't like it when the preacher stands up and preaches about money, and I will say right now, I know that some of you are uncomfortable and you know it's a four-week series and you're already making plans for the next three weekends. And could I be so bold as to say the reason why that is, the reason why so many unbelievers don't like it when I speak about money and, don't, and so many professing believers don't is because, is because it's an attack on their God. That's who you worship. They don't like it. Don't upset my worship. Don't, don't upset my life. Don't change the way I'm looking at this. You know, Jesus told his disciples again in Matthew 16, we don't need to look at it. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But there's a cost to this. And the early disciples all understood this. I mean, you think about it, but Matthew had a pretty good job. 
The sense was that anybody who was working as a tax collector on behalf of the Romans, he was kind of hated by everybody. The Romans didn't like him because he was a Jew. The Jews didn't like him because he was working with the Romans. But he had lots of money. And all the other tax collectors, at least they all got along together. So Matthew has this pretty good job going on and Jesus comes by and clearly he had already heard Jesus teaching and Jesus says to him, Matthew, leave it all behind and come and follow me. Leave your livelihood, leave your wealth, leave the security of what you're doing. It's so lucrative, but I have something for you that's better, leave that behind. What did Matthew do? Got up from his table, left it all behind and followed him. The cost was high. He knew it wasn't like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to work part-time as a tax collector and follow you part-time. There's no option there. It's leave it and follow me or stay and continue to worship your little God here. Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen, making a good living, no doubt. Hard living, but going on the water, there's fish in there. They catch the fish, they bring them out, they sell them to market, they provide for their family. Makes sense. Jesus says to all four of them, leave it behind. Walk away from the business. Come follow me for the, for the insecurity and, and the not knowing how your food is going to be provided. Just follow me around. I'm going to teach you some things. I'll tell, I'll tell you what. Why don't we follow you on weekends and Monday to Friday we'll work with dad in the business. Uh, no option there. It's either you leave your nets or you don't. It's either you get with Jesus or you do it your own way. Zacchaeus climbs a tree. Jesus comes along. He believes the message. Then he says, you know what, everybody I've ever cheated, I'm going to pay them back. This is a man who was gripped by money and now is no longer gripped by money. Why? Because he found Jesus. And Jesus was better. Of course, it didn't always turn out that way because there was also the conversation Jesus had with the rich young ruler who, by his own testimony, said, you know, I'm, I'm a really good religious guy. I'm a great, great Jew. You go to temple, like, celebrate the feasts and festivals. I keep the commandments. Jesus said to him, well, one thing you're missing, just go ahead and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the young man that day decided that the God of money was more important to him than Jesus Christ. He walked away, the text says, sorrowful, because he had great wealth. He had really invested in his God. Not everyone gets it, but it's right there in front of us. And I, I think we need to just ask ourselves the question, and no doubt some of you are very uncomfortable right now, and I hope you understand that I'm, I'm okay with that. But the question is, who or what is your God? Is it truly Jesus Christ and is that playing out in every aspect of your life? Are you undivided in heart? Are you sold out to Jesus Christ so that it is truly him possessing you and you possessing him and nothing else getting in the way of that. Is that true for you? The question again, who or what is your God? And if you're struggling on this very point, the only decision that I want you to make right now, if you're willing to admit the struggle is real and you are willing to admit the Bible might have something to say about that, 
but you're not sure you have an undivided heart, the only decision I want you to make right now is to prioritize the next three weeks. I'm not saying you even have to believe it right now. I'm just saying you need to hear it out. That you need to get here. And when you can't get here, you need to watch it on video. But you need to get here. And you need to make this a priority and hear everything that God has to say to us about all of this. Because to pack it in now says something about you is not good. You can't serve God in money. You have to have an undivided heart. And finally, to ensure that I own my money and it doesn't own me, I must also be intentional about how I handle it. Uh, Luke chapter 14. Uh, Jesus tells uh, the story uh, now, really the teaching about what it means to follow him. And talking about bearing the cross, verse 28. So this is Luke 14, 28. It tells this little story, this little illustration to help us get this, Okay. Which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? So if you're going to buy a house, first time uh, home buyers, if you're going to buy a house, first thing you're going to do is go to the bank, and you're going to get them to tell you how much of a house you can afford, and you're going to get a pre-approved mortgage. That's what this verse is. Okay, I, I want to build a tower. I want to buy a house. Can I afford to buy a house? Because I don't want to get partway through the process and start making offers on homes and, and then find out that I can't actually buy them, because that's embarrassing. Or, or, or you want to put a deck on the back of your house this year. Okay? You don't want to be the guy, and these guys exist, you don't want to be the guy who goes to Lowe's and, and he buys the, the, uh, the six by sixes for, and he you know, puts the holes in the ground and puts the posts in and then it's like July and that's all that's done because he can't afford the rest of it. So, you know, so the family's all sitting out on the deck and by that I mean each family member sitting on a six by six. <laughs> and and, and that's, I, that would be uncomfortable, I would think. So... Which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, or put the posts in the ground, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. All the neighbors are hanging over the fence, looking at them. They go, look at this stupid family. They're sitting on their six-by-sixes, right? They didn't have enough to finish it. Saying, this man began to build and was not able uh, to finish it. So, so you, you get what's, what's going on here. We, we, we need to be intentional about what we do. We need to actually think it out and be diligent and work hard toward it. And this really esteems the process of figuring out how to handle our money. It's going to take some intentionality in our part. We're going to need to think it through. Proverbs 12.5, the first part of it says, The plans of the diligent uh, lead surely to abundance. So the God principle here is work hard. Plan carefully, be intentional, God's going to bless that. Okay, that's, that's the principle. And if you and I are successful in having undivided hearts and making sure that money doesn't own us, if that's going to be the goal, then it's going to mean some very deliberate decisions on our part. And, and so what I, I want to get like super practical and just kind of like counsel a little bit here and just say, we want to help you with that, but it's going to take initiative on your own part. So by we, I mean the elders and the pastors have kind of put together something for the next month and a half that's really going to help us get to this place and become more devoted followers of Christ in the way that we're handling our finances. So the next three weekends are really critical in that. I've already said something about that. You need to make plans to be here for these and barring that, watching the videos and keeping up with the series. Now, we're also going to spend six weeks in our small groups doing a study that's called I was broke and now I'm not, all right? And so if, here's, here's what I'm saying. if you're in a small group 
Make it a priority to be in your small group for the next six weeks because you're gonna be studying this together. So get to your small group. Don't let anything get in the way of you being in your small group. You're all gonna get, as couples, you're gonna get this workbook and you're gonna be able to work through the content. Very, very practical uh, financial principles from the word of God that are gonna help us with this. And if you're in Harvest Young Adults, your Friday night meetings are gonna be studying this program. Okay, so you need to get to that on Friday nights if you're in your young adult years in that group. If you're not in a small group, you're saying, well, I'm not in a small group. How do I take advantage of this? Well, we have made some allowances for that. And you could sign up for one of our two uh, kind of temporary six-week groups that we're setting up. Wednesday evening, 6.30 to 8 p.m. right here at Timothy. Uh, that starts uh, March 2nd. When is that? That's like this Wednesday, correct? Have I got the calendar right? This Wednesday. So there's some urgency to you going out to the lobby at the end of the service and going to the table and signing up to be part of the Wednesday group that's gonna be studying this very same thing that the small groups are gonna be doing, all right? So that's a six Wednesday starting this week. Uh, the only one we're gonna miss is during March break, so I think we're on for one, off, and then on for five. Okay, that makes sense? All right, then we're also gonna offer this on Sundays starting next weekend, March 6th, and so you're going to want to be here at 11 a.m. So you can come to the 9 a.m. service like you have this week and then stay for the 11 a.m. And you'll go to a class and take this as well. And that'll go for six weeks, missing Easter weekend, um, but otherwise a meeting uh, to finish, finish that curriculum on. Okay? So all of that information also is on um, harvestberry.ca slash notbroke. And then if you want to pursue this even deeper on your own, um, you can stop by the Resource Center. We have a limited number of these books, which is what the curriculum is based on. I Was Broke, Now I'm Not by Joe Sangle. And you can stop by the Resource Center and pick up one of those uh, today as well. All right? If you do nothing, if you do nothing about this, then money will have you. That's how desperate this is. That's how serious this is. If you do nothing, money will have you. It will own you. And if you get intentional and do something about it, then you can own it and manage it in the way that God really intends for you. Now, the other thing we're going to do with all of this is over the next three weekends, so messages two, three, and four, we're going to take some questions from you and answer those as part of the message at the end of every message. So if you have specific questions about how you manage something, send those questions to us. Uh, you can email those to money, money, money at harvestberry.ca or Jesus on money at harvestberry.ca or cash at harvest. It doesn't matter. Just whatever you want to write in there. Just send us an email. I'm serious about that. Just send us an email and... Um, and we'll, uh, we'll get the help to you or text your question. If you're sitting here right now, I said, I already know my question. Then get your phones out and text the question to 705-733-8613. And uh, next week, we're gonna go deeper into what it looks like when money owns you. And uh, one word on that, slavery. So we wanna keep working on all of this and enjoying the freedom that Christ has for us in himself, amen? We want freedom? All right, that's what we're gonna go for. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.